The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. After over a year of legal wrangling, actress Lori Loughlin and her fashion designer husband, Massimo Giannulli, were finally sentenced in a federal court last week for their part in the college admissions bribery scandal. Ted Rollins has the latest developments, including the judge's thoughts on what the famous couple did. Was justice served, or was it just a waste of valuable resources? Former federal prosecutor Michael Sterling will make his case for the feds, and I'll break down the big difference between federal prosecutors and their state counterparts. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you so much uh, for downloading and listening. And for those of you who've been watching the show, you know that I'm a former prosecutor. You know, some people call me a hardliner. Everybody's guilty. Everybody's guilty. Uh, but I, I, I just search for the truth and I search for justice. And Sometimes if, if prosecutors are doing something that they shouldn't be doing, I call them out on it. I absolutely do. And, and everyone who has been convicted and there's DNA in the case, the DNA should be tested by the prosecution, period. End of story, okay? But let, let's get to what we're talking about today, which is the federal prosecution of Aunt Becky from Full House, Lori Lachlan, the college admissions scandal, which has grabbed so many headlines and has been such a big story and really involves a horrific behavior by very rich people who are doing whatever they can to get their children into schools like the University of Southern California. And in some cases, like in the case of Aunt Becky, it was done merely so they could talk to their friends and brag to their friends about their daughters being at USC. Their daughters didn't even want to go there. They didn't even want to go to college. Why would they? They were making millions of dollars on, on social media. But anyway, that's, that's another story. So Lori Lachlan gets indicted, and her and her husband, Massimo, who's this uh, super uber-rich designer, and they get indicted. They get in trouble. We see the headlines, and the pitchforks come out. Everybody wants some blood, and I think now maybe we, we got some. We got Aunt Becky's blood because she has pleaded guilty and been sentenced by the judge, and Court TV anchor Ted Rollins has all the details for us. Ted, how you doing there, pal? Oh, I'm doing great, Vinny. Yeah, well, it's been a long process, especially for these two. Uh, you know, you, you remember Felicity Huffman, another big man that was brought into this. He pled guilty out of the gate. First day, she says, I did it, I did it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Not Aunt Becky and her husband, Massimo. Massimo. I love that name, Massimo. My son's name is Max, by the way, which uh, Massimo is Italian for Max. And he's very Italian. Uh, so they fight. They say, no, we didn't. Uh, then they've got all kinds of fight in them. And at the end of the day, gave up. They did not want to go to trial. The feds didn't want to go to trial either, I don't think, because the, the case was thin. So the bottom line is she, Aunt Becky, is, is sentenced to two months in a minimum security facility um, in California. And then Massimo will get five months. So an extended period of time for him. They um, they don't know where they're going to be going. That's up to the Bureau of Prisons. They've asked to be in Southern California. He wants to go to Lompoc. 
and she wants to go to Victorville, which is on the way to Vegas. Yeah, and and, and I get it, and I get it. You want to pick, you know, something close in case people are going to visit you, and you know, whatever. And I'm sure they did their research with their consultants to find out which are the best prisons to be in. Um, but here's the thing: when when they were in court, okay, because this is a case that is not so much about a crime; it's about privilege, and that's the way it's really been couched by the prosecution, and I think in certain aspects, the judge uh, at, the, at the sentencing. How did the judge treat Massimo versus uh, Lori Lachlan? Big difference. With, with Lori Lachlan, he seemed to really um, understand and believe her apology. She broke down in tears twice during her written statement she read to the court, and this was via Zoom, so it wasn't face-to-face, but he said, Basically, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I have to sentence you. That's the rules. Massimo was different. He was more business-like, solemn. He also read a prepared statement, which said he was sorry, and it was, you know, seemed to be genuine. But the judge was was firm with him and said, and one of the things that really stuck out, he said, "This isn't the way things go in this country, and you are about to find out." Uh, yeah, you think he's attacking him because he's Italian? You think that's what's going on there? <laughs> Uh, I, I is this like I, a I Sacco know. and Vanzetti case? Is that what's going on out in, out in uh, in in the federal courthouse in in Boston? There, Ted. Maybe from your Italian lenses, that's what was happening. I don't know. That's what I'm hearing. Hey, you know, the, the bottom line is, and I have to reveal because people, you know, as this podcast goes on, you'll you, I'll reveal more of my feelings. But just let me establish here: I was not a Full House watcher. Like I glanced at the show. But it was on, you know, it, it ran when I was in law school and I was buried in books and trying to forge a career and everything else that was going on. So I really wasn't necessarily a Lori Lachlan Aunt Becky fan, but I am a fan of Massimo. Did, did you know his, his shirts, you can buy them at Target? Did you know that? Of course. Uh, yeah, well, he's everywhere. Massimo. His first name is on the tag. It's yes, I've got Massimo shirts. This is the Massimo of Massimo. Yeah, no, that's him. <laughs> And that's where he made his millions, and that's why he was able to get Laurie Lachlan in the first place. Yeah, well, well, that, well he's a, he's a good-looking guy. I'm sure he's got a nice personality too, and he probably treats her well. But yeah, I'm sure that's that's a big part of it. Uh, is the, the hundreds of millions? Here, yeah, the bottom line here is they're a very successful couple, so they were the target in terms of outrage in America when this story broke. Uh, it just infuriated people because they were. The stereotypical people that have it all and want more. They, and that the judge even said that to Lori Lachlan. He says, you look at your family, look at your life. And why, why are you standing in front of me? Because you wanted more. And you wanted it for you, not your children. The, it, it, this is one of those cases that, uh, yeah, they didn't murder anybody, but they sure got under the skin of people as much as a person that right. commits and, and, a horrible and they're- there are people who were equating this. They want the book. They want them thrown away in prison forever on this. And and I think it's more about uh, the privilege, right? Because it's it's sort of a buzzword now. Uh, but this is a, a an example of someone who has money, has everything, uh, but maybe they don't have the SATs or the ACT scores to get into the University of Southern California. Uh, but mom and dad really want them to go there. And and that's the that, to me that's it's. Horrific behavior. There's no excuse for it. It's, it's ridiculous. But let me ask you a question, Ted. Like uh, the prosecutor jumping up on his soapbox with his Operation Varsity Blues, 
right? Um, is the college admission system now fair and equitable because Lori Lachlan's going to do two months in a federal prison, Ted? No, but the next Lori Lachlan is going to think twice. And when the when Massimo says, hey, we got to just pony up 500 Gs and we can get the two girls into USC, maybe between the two of those uh, numbskulls in the future, they'll say, well, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe our children should just go to where they're accepted. Or... Or maybe those same people will say, why don't we just give the money directly to the school? And I think schools now are going to be a little guarded because of what took place. I know you don't like varsity. You, you, you think don't like that, Ted, wait, 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 Ted. But I think you it, really it, think it made that? a difference. It did make a difference. You don't think if someone donates a wing to the school, the kid's not getting in? Come on, Ted. What? I saw it in my freshman dorm. I saw it in my freshman dorm. It happened. It's the way. These are private institutions. They, they, there is no rules. They make up their own rules for whoever they want to let in. Do you know about Harvard's little list that they have? Their little list of, of connected applicants? There was like the dean's preferential list that was uncovered when Harvard was sued. A list of people that were connected to who? Oh, I don't know. Maybe like judges and politicians and U.S. attorneys and, and actors and all these people somehow get in. How is it that like every U.S. senator has kids going to an Ivy League school? Why do you think that is, Ted? Do you think that they, these kids are just better than the rest? Come on. No, the system's rigged and it, it isn't fair. Of course it and, is. And and so this was a little, just a little chip at it. And I think it will go in the short term a long way in terms of people thinking twice. So how much money is USC going to turn down? How much money are they going to say, no, please, we don't want that. We don't want that new library. Don't give us money. Whatever you do. How about this, Ted? How about the fact that the children of alumni have a better opportunity to get in? And why is that? What do alumni do? Oh, that's right. They give money to the school. <laughs> I get it, Vinny. You're angry. Do you see where I'm going with this, Ted? Yeah. I'm not pro Lori Lachlan. I am anti-universities, especially these private universities. And I went to one. And, and I know the whole, the whole deal with the way they work and how they want money. They want to build, build, build. And they just want more money, more money. And the endowments are ridiculous. And tuition keeps going up, up, up for no reason. You know, when we had a recession and nobody was making more money and people were making less money, tuition still went up every year. Why is that, Ted? Well, hey. And guess what? Who was the victim in this case? According to the prosecution's own papers and their own legal theory, who was the victim? There, well, you could say this was victimless. This, this was a, but it doesn't. Oh, that, yes. I'm going to use that line in my debate. This is a victimless crime, maybe, but you know, people say the prostitution is too. It's it, it, the, the bottom no, 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 line. No, no, here, no, no, no. But the, the USC was the victim. Because they were defrauded. You, when I read the indictment, USC is listed as the victim of this crime. Okay, tell me how USC was victimized by this. Well, because they were told that these were two wonderful coxswains. They were rowers of uh, extreme abilities, and it turns out they weren't. And the rowing team just went down the tube. By the way, th this whole scam that was run by Rick Singer, who was the 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 you know the kingpin of this whole thing, had been going on since 2011, and and all these years this has been happening, and never once has the university looked back and said, "Hey, 
any of those, you know, some of those tennis players we let in never played tennis. I wonder why. Or do you think they enjoyed letting people in who were paying full tuition? I I think that what's clear though is, is that there was a core group of people doing this. I don't believe that the university at large realized the reason that their rowing team stinks is because they didn't have any rowers actually going to the school. Uh, I think it was just a, a very small group and Singer was a part of it. And the Feds fell into this. They fell into Singer, didn't realize what they had. And then he sang like a canary out of the gate. So they went with it. And I, I know it infuriates you that they should have just gone with him and he was the head. Uh, they went they went after the low-lying, easy, low-hanging fruit. Um, but I disagree with you. I think it was a, a good prosecution, well worth our federal tax dollars to put Aunt Becky behind bars for two months and send a message. You rich people can't do whatever you want. <laughs> no, you have to give the money directly to the schools now because they were the victim. That's why they're the victim because they didn't get the money. And in some cases, they actually did get the money. At Stanford, the money actually went to the sailing program and they still got indicted. It, it, it's unreal. It's It's silly. It's silly. It's a silly use of our, our federal uh, resources. But anyway, Ted Rowland's incredible, incredible job. I, I'm sorry that we ended up debating because that's supposed to be the second segment of the show, but it actually worked out well, Ted, because uh, you know what you're talking about, as does our next guest who's going to be joining us um, as I debate whether or not this was really worth the federal resources that were put forth in this case. Like, is this what we want our federal crime um, um, investigators working on, and I'm talking about the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Department of Justice. Is this really what they should be spending their time on, ladies and gentlemen? I will debate that with a former federal prosecutor. Michael Sterling joins us next. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. All right, folks, let me preface what you're going to hear in the next 10 to 15 minutes by saying, what Aunt Becky Lori Lachlan did was horrific, horrible, bad behavior. Kids should be kicked out of school. She should be publicly humiliated, okay? I got that out of the way. But here's my point. Not all bad, horrible behavior is necessarily criminal behavior or behavior worth of a federal criminal investigation and a federal criminal prosecution and the use of countless FBI agents and U.S. attorneys and assistant U.S. attorneys and everything else, every other resource that goes into a case like this. Because when the feds investigate a case, they go all in. They go all in, all resources, because they refuse to lose. That's why they go all in, and they have the resources to do it. Where do they get the resources? From me and you. That's where they get it. And here, it was all to protect private institutions who can't police themselves, like the University of Southern California. All right, folks, uh, this is the part of the program, of the podcast, where I bring in someone to debate. And, and I don't bring in just anyone. I have to bring in people 
And I don't bring in patsies. It's not like, you know, wrestling where you, you bring the patsy out and you pin him in two minutes. No, 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 no. I bring in people who are smarter than I am, more experienced than I am, better looking than I am. And that's why today on the podcast, we have Michael Sterling, former federal prosecutor, incredible criminal defense attorney now on the dark side, and is also um, appearing on my show as a guest. And you may also see him from time to time on other networks like Bravo, where he's a uh, part of the cast of Real Housewives of Atlanta. Michael, great to see you. Great to see you too, Vinny. Thank you for having me. See, I try to pump you up so you're not so mean <laughs> to me during the debate. That's my whole strategy here. So here's the, that. here's the question, Michael, and, and and do you want to go first or do you want to respond to my beef with this whole federal prosecution? Because you're the former Wait. Fed. <laughs> I'll respond to your beef, Vinny. Okay. All right. So I'm going to go first. So folks are going to hear me for a little bit, but then I'll, I'm going to give Michael as much time as he needs to try to tear apart what I'm saying. And And the problem here is, folks, is that not all bad behavior is necessarily criminal. And in this particular case, this particular U.S. attorney's office, they have a little bit of a history with some cases that went south on them. Again, these were cases that were borderline criminal behavior. They were a little too aggressive. And all of a sudden, their convictions got overturned and people that were actually innocent uh, ended up doing time behind bars. That isn't the case here. I mean, uh, Aunt Becky did what she did. Massimo Giannulli uh, did what he did. But the question is, is it worth going after? And is it really a crime? Now, Let's get to the victim. According to prosecutors, the victim here is the University of Southern California. So how were they victimized? They let in students who paid full tuition. Huh. The University of Southern California who doesn't police their own admissions process. I mean, they're letting people in. And by the way, they're giving special consideration to people who can row and can do other things. So their test scores can be lower because they can row. Okay. But then they don't follow up to see if these people actually row at the school. So we got to bring in the FBI to, to, to provide some oversight to the admissions department at the University of Southern California. And oh yeah, by the way, it's a private university. I mean, it's not public. It's, it, our tax dollars are not paying for this, uh, this institution. The, the hypocrisy of this case, though, is people have been arguing that it's about privilege. And, it, and the victim is, is the student who didn't get in. So the student who didn't get in is another student who's going to pay full tuition, okay? So this wasn't a scholarship situation. These aren't people, kids who got in there and stole someone's scholarship so someone who worked really hard and couldn't afford to go to USC didn't get in. It was someone else who could afford to pay full tuition who maybe didn't get in, who might not even chosen to go there if they did get in, by the way. Some rower somewhere that did not get into USC. Um, the judge in this case was talking about this privilege. And, and to me, there's, there's a bit of hypocrisy and irony in all of that. My father was a federal judge. We know how the process works to become a federal judge. It's not like they pick someone out of a hat or you put a resume in. Okay. My father was the first and probably the only federal judge who'd go around and, and talk about this and, and, and expose how, you know, if you have political connections if you have been a, a, a political, uh, someone who's donated money or raised money, that's how you become a federal judge. That's how it happens. That's part of the process. It's a political process. Okay. And who has the ins in political process? People that might be a little connected. Someone like the judge in this case, who comes from a family that since 1847 has pr been providing seafood to New England. 
you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Brother was a, a U.S. senator. I mean, privilege is privilege. It is what it is. Here's the biggest beef I have with this whole federal prosecution. And I'm about to rest, Michael Sterling. I know I'm going long. Is that they caught the kingpin, Rick Singer, somebody who made $25 million off of this whole thing, put himself out there as a consultant. But once you got to know him, he would say, listen, I can get you in a side door. I got a side door entrance for you. And then that's where he would reveal, give me some money. We'll make some donations. We'll get your kids in. And the parents knew that they were really paying to get their kids in. Right? And they kind of knew it wasn't on the up and up. But uh, did they know it was illegal? Did they not know it was illegal? That's, that could be d- debated at a trial. But what happened here is they caught the kingpin, but they continued the conspiracy. Why, would you ask? Wouldn't you just get the kingpin and the conspiracy so no more children are denied entry into these elite universities because of this awful conspiracy that's taken place? But the conspiracy continued. Why? Because this U.S. attorney, who may have some political aspirations, needed a bigger headline. And the headline was all these rich people who he ended up indicting. And finally, Michael, I'll leave you with this. You know how I know that this was a weak federal case? Because the more charges that they levied onto Aunt Becky, the better and sweeter the plea deal got. And that tells me the feds did not want to go to trial because this U.S. attorney was afraid he was going to have the same result as those other cases where he had a little bit of problem with proof. Benny, uh, listen, I don't disagree with you that you can't prosecute every single technical violation of the statute, but I do disagree with you that the feds did not take into consideration the important factors that you look at when determining whether to move forward with the prosecution. Um, you know, and, and you have to look at, you know, what are national priorities? What are the federal interests here? Uh, you know, federal re- law enforcement resources can't prosecute every offense, but you have to look at what's the nature and seriousness of the offense. What's the impact of the offense on the community, the deterrent effect of the prosecution, the person's culpability, their willingness to cooperate, their personal circumstances, uh, and then promote respect for the law. Right. And so, you know, when you think about all of that, you have to look at the prosecution, not just singular, singularly of Aunt Becky and, and, uh, and her husband Massimo, but you have to look at the fact that here you had 53 people charged, more than $25 million in illegal money changed hands. You're talking about a $25 million bribe scheme that's, that went from Connecticut to California. Right. So from Yale all the way to USC, expanded the entire country, Georgetown, Stanford, UCLA, University of San Diego, USC, University of Texas, Wake Forest, Yale. So throughout our entire country, you had Rick Singer unethically help more than 750 families gain admission to a school that they did not deserve or belong in because they hadn't earned their admission. You had more than 33 parents who were charged in this case who paid, you know, this $25 million in bribes. And so when you think about the federal interest, the question then becomes, are we going to continue to exacerbate? I'll use Lori Laughlin's own words at her proper. She said that she realized her conduct helped exacerbate existing inequalities in society generally, and more specifically, 
her conduct helped exacerbate existing inequalities in the higher education system. And I heard you on with Ted talking about there's all this sort of unfairness. And I think she realized that and said, she didn't say I created it, but she said, I helped exacerbate it. And I think by prosecuting this case, federal prosecutors were able to demonstrate one, nobody's above the law. No matter how rich you are, how famous you are, how wealthy you are, you can be held accountable to the law. I think they also were able to deter future conduct. The other thing is that our higher education system is the envy of the world. If our higher education system continues to be compromised and you can just buy your way in, then it takes away from the integrity of the system that exists in the United States that says that you can make it on your own merit. It takes away from that American dream that people strive to that says, if I work hard and I do what's right and I follow the rules and I have an opportunity to make it. I think that there was a strong federal interest here to say, we're not going to let this type of behavior, these types of bribes, $25 million go without us taking action. And then, Vinny, my final point is that the question, the other question that federal prosecutors often ask themselves is, is that if we don't prosecute this case, are there non-criminal alternatives, non-criminal sanctions available that are effective to meet the same goals we have? And I can't think of a single alternative. Some of these kids had already graduated from school. Uh, some of them were in school. Can you pull them from the school? That's not a decision the federal government can make. That's the decision only the school can make. So the question then becomes, if there are no alternatives, no other non-criminal sanctions available, how do we press forward to demonstrate and meet the goals and objectives of the U.S. Attorney's Office and the Department of Justice? Public humiliation. Public humiliation would have done it. You get the kingpin and then you list the names of all the parents that he helped and you publish it. Here's Where's the line, though? And here's the problem I have is where do we draw the line to bad behavior, federal prosecution, right? So where's the line for, the, for college admissions? What happens like in an instance like, remember Derek Rose, incredible basketball sure. player, went to, I think, the University of Memphis. And, he did, yes. And somebody took the SATs for him. So right. he got in and he was able to play for the University of Memphis and he got a scholarship. So there was somebody out there who didn't get that scholarship to Memphis because Derrick Rose had someone take the SAT for him. The feds aren't going to prosecute that. And I don't think they should, but wh wh where are we drawing the line here? What if I, what if I'm taking the SATs and I copy off my neighbor? Should I be federally prosecuted? What if I lie in my college application and say I was president of the Italian honor society when I was really, I don't know, vice president. Yeah, but Vinny, I don't want to I don't want to draw a false equivalency between a isolated incident like a Derrick Rose in here where you have a twenty five million dollar bribery scandal. Right. So, yes, Derrick Rose did something that was unethical, untoward. There were punishments and sanctions for that uh, that were imposed by the NCAA. Memphis had to vacate their title run that year. Uh, uh, I think Derrick Rose had to give up his player college player of the year. So there were sanctions there. But the Fed in that particular instance probably didn't say this is a, and we don't even know if there were federal jurisdiction in an isolated incident like that. But here where you have an admission scandal that goes from coast to coast, where $25 million in illegal money is changing hands, that's far more significant, I think. Well, but well, you can always get federal jurisdiction, right? He took the SATs. Did he mail in his results? There you <laughs> sure. go. Now, Fair and, 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 and Michael, you know, I, I love the power of the FBI and what they can uncover and how they can protect us. I just, I'm so fearful of 
politically minded U.S. attorneys, right, who want to grab that headline. Yeah, that look, Vinny, I'm not going to say that that doesn't happen, uh, you know, but sometimes the headline is a part of the point. Sometimes the headline is to make a demonstration to the public that nobody's above the law. So, you, you know, you, there are certain things you cannot consider, but you can certainly consider the publicity of the offense and the person who's accused. So, for example, if, if a governor does the same thing as an ordinary citizen and, you know, and you want to make a demonstration that public corruption or governors and nobody's above the law, the governor may be more likely to be prosecuted because you are trying to send messages to society, oftentimes in these prosecutions, to demonstrate that pe everyone has to have respect for the law, that you have to protect the public from crimes. And, and oftentimes, those, that type of publicity can have an effective deterrent on future crimes. I think that's your best argument. That's the best one, is the general, de general deterrence. I'm, I'm just afraid that it's not going to deter really rich people from just giving the money directly to the schools and getting the kids in that way. And these private universities deciding that, yeah, we want rich people going to our school because we love our endowment. We can't have all poor people going to our school because then we don't get the money that we want. I, I guess what my real point is here is I want the schools prosecuted, Michael. <laughs> I think that's what I really want. <laughs> Listen. Listen, the inequalities are there, but 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 if you're going to, if, if at least the inequalities that exist are, are within the rules, like right. So if we're going to try to even the system up, we shouldn't bend the rules further the other way. We should at least start trying to bend that arc a little bit more towards fairness. Well, Michael Sterling, you make some great arguments, and and uh, you know, once you started going with the American dream, I was like, that's it, I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> He's got me, but I, I and I understand all your points. I I. I just wish the feds, you know what it is? I'm kind of jealous, Michael, because I wasn't a federal prosecutor. I was one of those lowly state prosecutors, and we didn't have all your resources. But uh, You all do the hard work, though, Vinny. Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> Michael Sterling, folks, awesome job. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Thank you, Vinny. As I mentioned, I was a, a state prosecutor, and there's a little bit of a rivalry that you may not know about. You may see it like in cop shows, you know, where the, the cops are like investigating a case and then the feds come in and like there's this rivalry and they're like, oh man, the feds are going to Bigfoot us now and they're going to step all over our case. And that exists with lawyers too. And uh, when we come back, I want to explain to you in, in real detail the difference between federal prosecutors and state prosecutors in, in what they do, how they approach the cases, and why I think state prosecutors are actually better. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. So I was a prosecutor, and I worked in Bergen County, New Jersey, and I was a Bergen County assistant prosecutor. So um, that was my first legal full-time paid job. I had summer jobs with firms, but that was the first one. And it was, it was an amazing experience, worked with amazing people, but the pay was not that good. <laughs> and it was funny because we, I used to talk uh, to uh, some friends who were federal prosecutors at the same time. And I'm like, you're making how much money? They were making like three times as much money as we were. 
and same amount of experience, but they were federal prosecutors. And it really opened my eyes to a certain extent as to the difference between federal prosecutors and, and state prosecutors. And I want to spend a little time doing that now because I think it's an important distinction because I want you um, to have a little more of a skeptical ear when you hear certain things that are announced and, and think to yourself, well, what's the rest of the story here? Um, it's, it, and it really begins with the way state prosecutors and federal prosecutors get cases or catch cases. As a state prosecutor, what happens is, you know, a crime happens somewhere, right? Someone gets shot, someone gets mugged, someone gets robbed. Uh, there's a burglary somewhere. Then like the police go in, they investigate, and they try to figure out who did it. Then if they figure it out, they arrest them. And then that person uh, is then handed over to the prosecutor's office, the state prosecutor's office. And then they present the case to a grand jury, they get an indictment, and then they prosecute that person. And that makes sense, right? Right? A crime happened, so the prosecutor's job is to prosecute the person responsible for that crime that happened. The federal system is so different. It is so amazingly and incredibly different. You know, once in a while, they'll have a situation where a crime happens, they investigate and they prosecute, but that's the, the vast amount of cases that they have are done completely differently. They, they make a case, okay? You're hearing those words like make a case. They don't make it up, but they make a case. Sometimes they do make it up, though. And they spend much more time investigating people rather than crimes. And, and you'll hear this little phrase, what can we get them on? Right? You're investigating someone for their behavior, and you're like, well, look, look at this behavior. Well, you know, what, crime did they, what crime did they commit? It is so different than what state prosecutors do. I mean, us, a robbery happened. We have to find out who's responsible for the robbery. But the feds are looking at behavior and saying, well, what crime did they commit? And to me, as, as being a state prosecutor, that never really made sense to me. I was like, what? So we're, 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 we're searching for crimes? There's not enough crime out there to investigate? Then we got to search for a crime? The other thing the feds spend a lot of time doing, along with the FBI, are these sting operations. You know, there's like this big sting, and they set it up, and they have hidden cameras and microphones, and they have confidential informants, and they have these lock-solid cases that are absolutely amazing. Now, after I left the, the prosecutor's office, I went to private practice, and once in a while, I would get assigned a case from federal court where the defendant could qualify for a public defender, but because there was more than one defendant, the public defender could only represent one of them because of a conflict. So they would hand these out to private attorneys to do. So, so I caught a case, right? I got one of these cases. And I remember the story actually was on the local news, in the newspaper and on the nightly news. And it was like, FBI, and this is, again, back in the 90s, right? FBI breaks up huge stolen car ring in Newark, New Jersey. And I was like, wow, wow, this, this is a big case. And I'm part of this big case. Like, wow, well, you know, I need to find out more. Well, that's my job as, as an attorney for this, this defendant who's a 20-year-old kid. And, and granted, remember, back, back in the early 90s, Newark was like the stolen car capital of the country. More stolen cars in Newark than anywhere else in the country. So what happens is I start to dive into the discovery and, and try to figure out exactly, okay, what was this stolen car ring all about? And then it was slowly uncovered to me what actually took place. Again, Newark, New Jersey, stolen car capital of the country. 
So what does the FBI do? They set up a sting operation. What's the sting operation? They rent a storefront in downtown Newark, right? So they spend the money for that. They put their agents in uh, undercover, and then they get word out on the street of Newark that they are paying five to $10,000 cash for high-end stolen cars, Lexus, Mercedes, Cadillacs. It's Newark, New Jersey. They get people driving big caddies, right? So, and then I'm looking at this, I'm like, wait a minute. I thought this was a stolen car ring. This was, this stolen car ring was set up by the FBI. The FBI set it up. They were the ones buying all the stolen cars. They were the ones creating more of an incentive for kids in Newark, like my client, who's a 20-year-old kid, to steal cars. And not just any cars. No, no, get the high-end cars. You need to steal a Lexus or a Mercedes or a Caddy, and you'll get five to $10,000 cash. And that's what he did. And he stole, I think, four of them. And they got him on video. They got him on audio. I mean, he's dead in the water. No defense. If this case was in the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, where I just come out of, it would be a third-degree crime. If he had no record, he wouldn't go to jail. He wouldn't even go to prison. If he had a record, he would probably get somewhere between one to two years. But because this was a federal crime, the federal sentencing guidelines were applicable, and it was based upon the value of your crime. Remember, these are high-end cars. So he's stealing $50,000 cars, $60,000 cars, right? So the value of his crime is hundreds of thousands of dollars. This kid is facing 40 years in federal prison for stealing a handful of cars that he would not have stolen but for the fact that the FBI set up a shop in downtown Newark and made sure word got out on the street through their confidential informants that this guy is paying five to $10,000 cash for stolen cars. The value of the crime was not the money that the kid was getting. The value of the crime was the car that was stolen. And that opened my eyes immensely to every time I see one of these headlines now, and I want you to please do the same thing, read between the lines. When the feds have this huge bust or they break up some sort of uh, uh, you know, crime ring or, or whatever's going on, read a little closer to what actually took place, because I always do now. And to me, this is sad, because if this was a case in Bergen County, New Jersey, where I was a state prosecutor, three cars would have been stolen, they would have tracked the kid down, and they would have arrested him, right? But actually, those cars wouldn't have been stolen because there was no one paying five to $10,000 cash for those cars. So the crime wouldn't even happened, would not have happened. So are you protecting the citizens? And by the way, do you think the people whose cars got stolen got their cars back? Do you think they really got them back? No, they were being held in evidence. Unbelievable. And, and that's why cases like Aunt Becky's and other ones, I always look a lot deeper at what the feds are actually doing. All right, folks, that's it for this week. Now, remember, check the show notes. We've got some uh, incredible information about the college admission scandal. And there's a lot of details we didn't get into here on the podcast. Check out the show notes. Uh, we've got lots of information there for you. You can check out Court TV on CourtTV.com or 
on television because that's where I am every night from 8 to 11 on Court TV. If you have a digital antenna, you just must rescan that antenna because you may have had it for a while. Court TV just came on in your market, and unless you rescanned it, you're missing out on my three hours of crime and justice Monday through Friday. Oh, man, I'm tired. I talked way too much in this podcast, but uh, I think these words needed to be spoken. <laughs> Have a great, great week, everyone. And as always, don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.